You're listening to a DM podcast. In fact, I actually find it incredibly insulting when people on the spectrum are underestimated, marginalized, and also disrespected for being on the spectrum. Because even even people on the spectrum can, can bring a lot of great things to the table. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a new episode of Mr. A+. Today's guest is an Australian author who will be releasing a new book very soon titled Love and Autism. Fun fact, she has interviewed me at least twice because she wanted me to be a big part of the book, along with other people on the spectrum. And yes, Love and the Spectrum comes into play at some point in today's episode. So, without further ado, let's all give a warm welcome author Kay Kerr. Hello Kay. Hi, thank you so much for having me Michael. No thank you, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on this podcast. Oh I've loved listening to the podcast, I've been a long time listener. You have? Yeah, yep it's great. You have such an interesting range of guests, it's always fun thank to tune you. in and see what you're doing. Yeah. I appreciate that. First off, how are you doing and your family? Yeah, good, good. Just sort of settling into the year. We had a bit of a, a strange start to the year, so I feel like I'm still a little bit stuck in like January, February, whereas it's almost April, so it's it's going quite quick. How are you going? I'm doing pretty all, pretty all right. This is my like one of my first questions. Was there a particular moment in your life that inspired you to decide that you wanted to be a writer? That's a great question. I feel like. For a long, like I was a kid who loved stories and loved being read to. And then once I could read, I loved reading books all through my childhood and teen years and um, very much was a massive reader and a massive lover of books. But I never really saw being an author as a job that just anyone could do. I felt like it was something a bit like a celebrity job or like not just, it wasn't, I didn't know any authors. I didn't know that it was something that anyone could sort of just have a shot at and give a go. So um, I guess I channeled like that love of writing and and reading into um, becoming a journalist because that seemed like a a job that could come out of being passionate about writing. Um, So I followed that career for quite a number of years and it wasn't until a journalist friend of mine released a book, a fiction book, and then I realised, oh, anyone can do that if they want to. Like you don't have to wait for permission, you don't have to... Um, necessarily have studied creative writing. Anyone can have a go at writing. So that was probably the biggest moment for me where I realised it was actually something that I could try and it sort of gave me permission to start working on a project of my own. That's really impressive. But I don't think I could ever be an author myself. Why is that? You're you're an avid consumer of stories, though. You love TV and movies and that kind of thing. So I don't really consider myself a writer. You, you, I guess in, in acting though, you sort of, you play other people's characters and the, the roles that they've written. So you have sort of a connection with writing in that way. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I never really saw it that way. Oh, and I think, or like when I think about shows and movies and stuff like that, I think so much depends on the writing that people maybe don't even necessarily see or understand that yeah. good writing, you know, often means a good good movie or a good show and, and bad writing can mean what was otherwise a great cast or, you know, those things can um, be impacted by the writing very much. 
Yeah, I suppose that's also really true. Although I have to admit that I've never really been, I'm not really a huge fan of reading. Yeah. Do you ever listen to audiobooks? Sadly, no. No, that's fair enough. I think um, reading can be hard to to get into in terms of like sitting in one place, reading the book, keeping like your mind and focus on the book. That's why I think um, audiobooks can make them make reading accessible for lots of people that otherwise don't get into it. I suppose that is pretty true. Although four years ago, I did purchase a, a copy of that book, A Christmas Carol, because I was impressed by one of the f- one of the um, ad- film adaptions that I decided to purchase a copy of the book and read it myself. Which film um, adaptation did you like? Adaption, you mean? Oh, adaption, it's, yeah. Yeah, it, the one from 2009 with Jim Carrey as Ebenezer Scrooge. Um, yeah, I don't know that I've seen that one. Oh, what is the inspiration behind your upcoming book, Love and Autism? Yeah, so this is my third book. My first two were fiction, were novels um, for young adults. And um, particularly the second one that I wrote was a a romantic comedy. Um, So in the publication uh, and promotion of that book, I was writing some opinion pieces, some some nonfiction pieces about my own life and my own experiences um, dating and and, um, around love and autism as, as themes, I guess. And I was approached by a publisher about whether that would be a theme that I would be interested in looking at in a book. Um, and I think I'm just a big lover of love and romance stories and, and also just unpacking relationships and connections of all kinds, so relationships in families and friendships and, you know, at school and work and the things that people love as well, like people's mm. passions and interests and or their love of their animals. It's just all topics that I love to talk about in my day-to-day life um so it was it was great to have a chance to expand on that and also to get to talk to other autistic people about their lives and what they look like Mm -hmm. because that was really exciting for me that kind of pieced together both my journalism background and my author background um for this project which was great so thank you so much for being involved it was my my pleasure it was an honor and i also have to say it looks like we both love love you're a big fan? Well, I would say that I am. Do you consider yourself a hopeless romantic? Yeah, definitely. What about you? You're, you and me both. Yeah. Do you have any favourite romance movies or, or romances in shows or anything like that that you really like? I used to be big on romantic comedies, but I kind of got out of it years ago. There aren't as many anymore, I feel like, they're like as there used to be. Although I do have to admit that... One romantic comedy that I did see last year as preparation for one of my previous guests is called Man Up. Oh, I don't know if I've seen that. Who was the guest? Tess Morris. She was um, the oh, writer cool. of that film. Cool. Oh, and um, just before, you actually said something about the um, loving the concepts of um, family and friendship. Yeah, that's right. That actually reminds me of something. Um, do you mind if I um, type something while we um, while we speak? Because um, I think this would be um, very touching and also pretty important. Yeah, of course. Okay, um, I have to ask you, are you familiar with Hanna-Barbera? I don't think so off the top of my head, no. I'll explain. Hanna-Barbera was an animation company in the 20th oh. century. 
They they were yeah. behind Scooby Doo, Wacky Races, The Flintstones, The Jetsons, Top Cat, Secret Squirrel, Yogi Bear, The Great Grape Ape Show. Um, I was thinking of Hannah as a person, so yes, I'm up to speed now. I'm, I know what you're talking about. Well, so yes, Hannah Barbera were, uh, was named after the surnames of William Hannah and Joseph Barbera. Right. They were they founded the company. I I read that most of the cartoons they created revolved around close friendships or partnerships and even family. That's amazing. See, I think they're such important, just as important and valid themes to explore as romantic love. So that's really cool to hear. Yeah, of course. And that's one of the reasons why I appreciate Hanna-Barbera's work because most of their work revolves around family, friendships and partnerships because it reflects theirs. Those things make, make those shows wholesome, unlike most of modern modern content. Yeah. yeah, there's definitely a lot out there. Do you have a favourite from their catalogue of, of shows that, that you liked? Yep, there's heaps. There's The Flintstones, mm. The Jetsons, yep. Wacky Races, um, yep. Yogi Bear, Snagglepuss. <laughs> we did talk about The Flintstones in in the book, so people can read more about yep. that when they, when they get a copy. Yeah, it's because I said that watching my, my parents interact, sometimes it's like watching episodes of The Flintstones especially where where Fred and Wilma are concerned. (laughs) It was nice to learn more about your family and um, your upbringing and and all of those people that we saw glimpses of on the show and and to get to know a little bit more behind the scenes. That was great. My story um, describes my past to exact detail. Yeah, it was great. I loved the idea of giving people a picture of the autistic people that are interviewed and myself as well from children through their life growing up because I think sometimes people think of autism as this childhood condition as if people grow out of it when they become adults. So they they have an idea of autism as this is what it looks like in a child maybe um, but they don't necessarily understand the bigger picture. So I thought by bringing the readers on the journey from childhood through to adulthood mm-hmm. they get to see a much yeah. more broad range of In fact, I... I actually find it um, quite absurd that people believe that autism is something you grow out of or something that you receive from getting vaccinations. There is so much misinformation and um, problematic and incorrect views. So I think the work that you're doing in this space is undoing lots of that and I'm hoping in my own little way to be doing that as well. In fact, I actually find it incredibly insulting when people on the spectrum um, are underestimated, marginalized and also disrespected for being on the spectrum because even even people on the spectrum can can bring a lot of great things to the table for example i was able to hold down a full-time job for almost five years amazing about that you're doing and you're doing what you love now you're following your creative passion which is incredible yeah of course and people on the spectrum need to learn to pursue their their passions and their and follow their dreams and follow their hearts instead of allowing others to determine their paths for them. Yeah, I think that there just is a very limited understanding a lot of the time around what being autistic is like. A lot of people see me as this advocate for autism, so I've decided yep. to embrace that and accept it. Yeah, and what does that mean for you? Like what is, is it just living your life in, in, in an open and proud way or is there other stuff to it as well? It's about showing people what autistic people and people with Asperger's can bring to the table and that they're able to make contributions and that that 
should be treated like they have a disability because it's just a new neurological disability. That means it just impacts their social skills and the way they learn things. They just learn things differently. People think of the idea of disability as being inherently bad. And I know some autistic people view autism as a disability. Some people don't like that word. But I think a lot of the time, and there's the idea of the social model of disability, which is that often the, the things that are hardest for people with disability is the, the roadblocks in society that make it um, inaccessible for them. So yeah, it's I more know. about making sure, you know, our society is supportive and embracing of all types of people because um, yeah. neurodiversity is natural and everywhere and just part of the bigger picture of life. In fact, I'm proud to be on the spectrum. Me too. You are? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I think um, I didn't get my diagnosis until I was in my 20s, so... I think I had a lot of self-belief around the things that I struggled with and the things that I found mm. hard or the things that I couldn't do that I sort of viewed through the lens of being faults of my own, whereas having this understanding now of myself as autistic, I can see that that's part of my my makeup and my being and there are lots of things that I'm really good at that I think is mm. at least partially because I'm autistic as well. Hmm. The kind of autism that I have is called Asperger's. It's a, a, di- a branch of autism. It's a and it's a milder form of it. Yeah, I, I don't. I think when they when I got my diagnosis, they said this is what they used to or they would have called in the past Asperger's as well. It's all just under the autism umbrella. Um, yeah. And I think advocacy work, like what you're doing, it, it can be beneficial to all autistic people, regardless of. Um, their support needs and and other things they've got going on. Yeah. Look, I have an autistic child and she's amazing. I'm super thrilled about it. Um, Wow. I think any preconceived idea of what your child should be or shouldn't be, I think parents need to think about that. You know, you you don't have any control over the person that your child is or becomes. So um, all you can do is your best to support them and, and love them and make sure that they have all the opportunities in the world. Yeah, of course. Like they say, everything happens for a reason. Being autistic is something that you shouldn't be ashamed of. Something I'm learning as I'm getting older is that there's a lot to get from connecting with other autistic people because when you're in conversation and in community with other autistic people, you're not feeling that same Mm. level of self-monitoring or comparison. It's just a lot freer, Mm. I find, um, communication and community. Yeah, of course. We're going to get back to that um, little bit of conversation. One of my other questions was, how many books have you authored? But you've already answered that question. You've published, you've authored three. Yeah, they've hmm? all been pandemic books too. Like I've, oh, sorry, I think we're not supposed to talk about that. But I mean, they've all been in the last three years. So it's been, it's been a busy time period. So it turns out that all three of your books have had the themes of love and also autism and also coming of age. Yeah, because I have like because my the way my mind works and processes is autistic. I don't know that I could write a book without at least one autistic character in it. I think it's interesting to unpack the way that we see the world and um, the experiences that we can have. So um, that's always going to be regardless of, you know, even if I wrote a fantasy or a book set in the future or anything, um, I think that I would want to make sure there was at least one autistic character in there. That's wonderful very proud of you for making that decision. I salute you for it. 
we need thank you we need more representation definitely i don't know if you've of course seen seen any shows that you think have good autistic representation or movies that kind of thing but there isn't a lot well out there really actually there is a certain show that i that i that i recently got out of and it has a character that has autistic traits but he's not but he doesn't have autism they don't say that he the does producers have stated that this no the producers of this show have stated that this character does not have asperger's i'm referring to sheldon from the big bang theory all right i don't think i've ever watched more than like the passing episode of that one it's been on tv so i don't know i know the character mm. of course i think you'd, well you'd be hard pressed to find someone who didn't know that show and that well, character Jim Parsons, who played him, he did a t- terrific job playing him. He was, he was really amazing. But the character of Sheldon Cooper, he's just not a, a not a great representation of people with with Asperger's or autism. I have heard people say that about Sheldon. He's basically a man child, and he has a lot of childish qualities, like extremely impatient and extremely stubborn. And always wanting things to go his way and always having a set routine. In fact, some people in the past have said that I remind remind them of Sheldon, but the thing is I'm a bigger man than, than Sheldon in, in so many ways. I'm more flexible than him. I'm less stubborn than him. Unlike him, I'm honest about my behavior and when I ta- and when I and when I fuck up, I take responsibility for it. Well that's and, good that you have that that reflection and that sort of understanding yeah. of it. And I know when to give a woman space when she needs it. But another thing I've noticed about Sheldon is whenever he gets in trouble with women, he always ends up making it worse for himself. Oh, dear. And he has no problem throwing his friends under the bus. Because according to him, he never does anything wrong. Mm, right. Well, I, I've recently watched Heartbreak High. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's wonderful autistic character on that show. It's um, maybe a bit intense in some of the... Um, themes and scenes but the autistic character played by Chloe Hayden um, of Quinny is incredible incredible representation so I definitely think there are some changes in the more sort of modern space which is positive to see yeah how long does writing a book take to complete and publish that's a great question because it can really vary. The first book I spent years working on, on and off, because I was a journalist as well at the same time. Um, so even just getting a first draft of that was a number of years and rewriting. Like then once I had a first draft, you rewrite it. Um, and I, I didn't have publishing connections at the time. So it was very much trying to find a way to get my foot in the door, which I'm sure is um you know, similar to your experience, or maybe not similar, but it's similar in the art, other arts as well. So I had I connected with a literary agent, um, and then she pitched my first book out to publishers. So I think it probably would have been maybe six or seven years for that first book, um, and then the second book I had written in the space before my first book got published. So probably was written in maybe six to twelve months. It was quite short compared to the first one because I had an idea of the process and and what that looked like and I had a bit more experience and then this book was quite quick but it was interviewing as opposed to making up the story if you know what I mean so um, Mm -hmm. as long as I had my interviews done pretty early it was more straightforward uh, of a process to put it together so I think from the time I signed the contract for this book uh, to when it came out is about 18 months 
Um, so it is a long process. Even with my first two books, I wrote them first and then sold them and then we edited them with the publishers, whereas this, this book sold it as an idea, as a proposal, and then once it's signed, then I have to write it. So that's a scary different way of doing things because you've already wow. p- sort of promised and committed and sold this idea and then you have to follow through and you don't know. Yeah. They've read a sample chapter but they haven't read the whole thing. So when you submit the whole thing, it's very scary. <laughs> you know, it gets laid out. Like it's coming out at the end of March. It was laid out and I was looking over the pages that were going to go to print in January so it's just this sort of long process, but then at the end it all speeds up when you start getting the real copies of the book and, and those start getting sent out to people and you start doing interviews. Um, it's really interesting, interesting process. Yeah, it seems like a very, very long process that you have to go through just to write a book. Yeah, it's a lot of work uh, and a lot of work just <sighs> on your own at your computer. So you're not getting a lot of, I guess, reward along the way. It's sort of you have to stay committed and say sitting at the desk, which can be tricky. So I guess that sometimes it seems like a rewardless and thankless job. And then it's nerve wracking at the end. I don't think it's thankless, but it, it can feel like you're in the dark a little bit on your own sometimes. And then you get mm. to the end and then it's quite overwhelming when people start reading it and that sort of public yeah. facing side of things, which you do public facing stuff. Yeah. Always that's part of your role is being a public figure and, and doing things like your podcast and stuff. So I'm less yeah, of course. practiced in the space than you are, probably. Like hmm. I find it I get nervous and I think I think we talked about you and acting and you were saying you don't get nervous in that same way. No. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I actually enjoy being that's, in public. That's great. I wish that that was me. <laughs> well, it's just a matter of having confidence. You would get you'd get there. Yeah, I think um, I'm much more comfortable in the writing part of this job than the, the other mm. part, but it's really exciting to connect with people and talk about, about the yes. work as well. Do you have plans for another book after Love and Autism? I have quite a, like a few different things on the go, like ideas and at different stages, but I think part of the process is letting those things grow mm. in fruition before I sort of commit to publishing them so I think I just I'm going to stay in this sort of creative writing space for a little while nice. and let those ideas yeah that's let good. those ideas grow yeah that's good um my next question is why did you want me to be a part of your book I watched love on the spectrum and I connected with quite a few of the interviewees I've, I really enjoyed the stories of people that shared um on the show and I thought um that show for a lot of people was their first insight into autistic lives oh. of watchers, you know what I mean? Like people watching that might not necessarily have a wider understanding of, of autism. So I thought if somebody watched the show and loved you or loved somebody from the show, particularly you, I think you were a sort of a breakout star of that show. Um, if, yeah, if so I've been told. Okay to say, yeah. Um, so I think if their starting point on learning about autism was that show, I was love on the spectrum and they really connected with you. I thought that might be an interesting way to show more of your life than, than what was on the screen in a different way, because writing is different obviously than, than TV. And we could, Mm. we could talk about things that maybe weren't touched on in the show. And it would also, I think, yeah. And I think it would give people, I would hope people come up if they watched your show and then if they read the book would come away with, wider understanding um 
more compassion, more, um, yeah, just more understanding and um, hopefully be entertained and enjoy the read as well. So that was kind of why I reached out and I was so glad that you said yes. So thank you for that. That's that's all right. It was my privilege. I was honoured to be interviewed for it. So thank you. It was, yeah, it was great because I find when I used to be a journalist and I would be interviewing people for my job, I very much felt like I had to play this role of neurotypical and journalist. And so it felt very much like acting in a way like I, and it would exhaust me a lot going to, through those interviews. But I found mm-hmm. in connecting with the interviewees for this book with you and, and the four other people, because we were connecting on that level of I'm autistic, you're autistic, let's talk about our lives and experiences. It was, um, yeah. didn't drain me in that same way. It was really, really um, energizing and really positive. Wow. Who else from the show did you interview? No one else from the show. You're the um, you're the only one from the show, but oh. four other people from a, a wide range. Um, somebody that I knew um, through the sort of book world, somebody that I reached out with through their articles that they had written for SBS, and then two other people that mm. I connected with through an autism support agency. Wow. My next question is, what is the importance of publishing a book about promoting the relationship between autism and the concept of love? I think that a lot of what is written about autism can be quite dry and quite deficit-based and can be quite medical. Um, So I wanted to, I thought love was a really interesting gateway into talking about feelings, emotions, um, relationships, all of those things um, that I think flesh out the idea of a person and their life and what it looks like a lot more than this is a list of autistic traits, this is what it looks like. I wanted to show full lives of five incredible people doing different things in different parts of the country, different ages, everything, um, and just explore. I think also because a lot of the time autistic people are, you know, communication deficits is something that is part of the diagnostic criteria. We're told we have deficits in communication. So as much as I like I feel like I'm unpacking that a little bit more as I get older and, and learn more and I'm realizing that autistic people often have a different way of communicating, but it's not yeah. less, it's just different. And so um, I wanted to explore through lives and the relationships of people, I guess, what that looks like. And, and love just felt like, because I love love, as we were talking about, it just felt like a really good way into talking about yeah. people's lives and all the different times throughout their lives. Yeah, of course. In fact, one trait that I've noticed about people with autism is that when they're talking to someone, they often look at their surroundings and the person they're talking to, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're they're not listening. Absolutely. I do that. I definitely, I used to force myself more to look at people or look near their eyes. So it looked like I was looking at their eyes, but I'm better able to listen and communicate if I'm letting myself be my natural way. In fact, um, when you were um, diagnosed with autism in your 20s, I was diagnosed when I was five. Yeah. And I was constantly off in my own world as a kid. And to this day, I kind of look back on it with some embarrassment. I don't know. It's easy to, to look at other people and think they've got it sorted or it's like they're, they're you know, yeah. people are good at hiding their struggles sometimes, I think. I suppose that's also true. Yeah. But I think because I was a kid who always had my nose in a book and that was how I sort of avoided social situations a lot of the time. That was a quite 
mm-hmm. don't know, an, an accepted way of being for a young kid so it maybe wasn't noticed. And yeah. I think for often girls aren't picked up on as being autistic as much or as early. Yeah, it's more common in, in males. Yeah, diagnosis is definitely. Another question I have is what is your experience of love? Oh, that's a great question. Um, do you mean romantic or do you mean, like, we, as we've said, we've talked about family and friendship and stuff as well. Um, I met my partner. I've been with my partner for lots of years now. So I met my partner when I was 18, hmm. just at a bar, at a at my university bar. Um, hmm. But we have been a lot of different versions of ourselves since then, which is, um, you know, being, I'm in my mid-30s now, so I'm definitely not the same person I was at 18, Mm. but my idea and concept of love is um, being with someone that you are both on your own journeys and you're both working on your own journeys, but you are wanting the best version of that other person and helping them become that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's how I view. Um, And we have a family now and, yeah, our daughter. And so I definitely want to model autism um, you know, being proud of autistic identity and mm. positive to, uh, yeah, to, to pass that on to my kid because I that, think. Um, it's really wonderful. Yeah, I think that's really important for young autistic kids to, to feel proud about yeah. their identity and, and about the things that they do differently because yeah. it can be tricky. Like we talked about this in the book, you know, school years, yeah. particularly as you get into high school, can be awful sometimes. So Yes, I know. Um, yeah, you know, you had that blessing of of a strong family unit behind you, and so that's what I want to provide yep. as well, as well as modelling that sort of posit- positive, positive, good, autistic identity. Yeah. Um, are you and your partner married? We are. Yep. That's wonderful. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. I found it very overwhelming the actual wedding day. I think I was in my twenties. I don't know. Looking back now, if I now that I know myself a little bit better and know my autistic traits. I don't know if I would have this big day with, you know, over a hundred people and all the attention being on me. It's I found that quite day. overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's a lot. I don't know. Some people are better yeah. at, at managing that kind of attention, but I'm definitely not. I also like to ask you, um, do you have any love languages? Ah, yes. Well, I did a part in the book um, which was talking about autistic love languages. Uh, some Another autistic writer had written these autistic love languages, which I thought was really interesting. And it was like, I can't think of them all at the moment, but it was like info dumping, like sharing your special interests with someone and things like that, which I yeah. thought was good. Are these the autistic love languages or are these the original ones? Gift giving, yeah. acts of service, words of affirmation, quality time and physical touch. I think words of affirmation and quality time. Interested? What about you? All five of them. <laughs> That's fair enough. I think everyone's is all five of them to some extent, don't you? Yeah, in some I way. Suppose so. Yeah. Now, I believe we're on to our Ask Mr. A Plus segment. That's a segment where the guest has the opportunity to ask me questions, anything at all. Amazing. Yes. Okay. So, what are you? working on at the moment or what are you excited about that you're doing at the moment? Um, I'm still working on the podcast, which is going well, as always. I'll be attending two autism awareness events um, next week, actually. I think I saw the Sydney one. That's exciting. How do you go with those events? Like, are you up on a stage talking to a room full of people? Is that how it goes? I think so. And I'll also be attending a gala ball 
in Coffs wow. Harbour at the end of next month. That's amazing. Does that mean you get to wear a suit and, and get yep, of course. dressed up and fancy? Yep. I'll be attending it as a celebrity guest speaker. Cool. It's called the Spectrum Spectacular Gala Ball. I mean, it's to bring bus stop films to Coffs Harbour to establish a bus stop films campus there. Cool. Bus stop films is basically a filming school for people with disabilities. That's all really exciting. How do you go in the lead up to those events? Like, do you need a bit of preparation time or downtime or do you just take it all in your stride? I just do my best to take it on board. If I'm in a room where there's too much noise, I would need some alone time. I do the same when I have had writing festivals that I've spoken at. I ask for a quiet space alone, but not in the green room with everybody because that can be very noisy. Yeah, of course. In fact, in noisy rooms, I would bring earplugs. Yeah. Do you have any other questions? What has been your favourite part of doing this podcast? Because you have had so many interesting guests. It's that the guests are the main thing. The main thing I love about doing the podcast. The amazing people that I've spoken to. I find it really interesting, the guests that you've had. I do have one regret. Oh, what's that? When I did the podcast with Susie Porter, I should have done it with her in person. Oh, you'd love to have met her? Yeah, because I, I really want to meet her and I'd love to work with her on something. And yeah, she never incredible. got a chance to receive any of my famous bear hugs. That is a missed opportunity, but, you know, you never know where you might cross paths again. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Oh, you're doing an amazing job. I was listening to um, Justin Long's podcast a little while ago. I had a big, long um transit and you popped up on an episode of that that was pretty cool yes i did appear on his podcast once you've done some amazing amazing work since the show thank you that's that's cool cool well thank you so much for having me for making the time and and for being in the book as well um if your copies haven't arrived i hope they arrive soon and you get even though you're not a big reader you get to sort of flick through and see yourself in in there actually looking forward to having a read of the book It was my pleasure to have you on this podcast and to be interviewed by you for your book. We flipped places today. (laughs) Well, Kate, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to come on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Just before we we knock off, uh, the title of your book is Love and Autism, right? Yep. My question is, where can people find it and when is it going to be released? Thank you so much. Yeah, so it's out now. People can find it at all bookstores um, or online places like Booktopia. It's out with Pam McMillan um, and we've also recorded an audiobook. So wherever you get your audiobooks from, whether it's Apple or Audible, those places. But um, yeah, thank you so much again for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for taking time out of your own schedule to come on this podcast. I really appreciate it. It was an honour having you on. I appreciate it too. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you, Kay. Thank you, Kay.